Collegiately speaking. And we're underway. Needs a block on the picker. He gets it. And will he go the distance? Yes, he will. As the Hokies deliver the dagger here in Tallahassee. Intercepted by the Wildcats. The Wildcats win. Unbelievable. Here's Collegiately Speaking, your one-stop shop for college football news. With Dave Eddy and former Northwestern quarterback Dan Person. How much you want to make a bet I can throw a football over the mountain? Collegiately Speaking. Welcome to another chapter of Collegiately Speaking, our weekly look at what's happening with college football, the Nyon Northwestern and the Big Ten. Dave Edit with former Wildcat quarterback Dan Persa. Into week five of college football, we start to get into the meat of the conference season. That's true in the Big Ten this week, even though uh, we've seen several teams already play conference games. Dan watching the Wildcats take on Ohio on Saturday at Ryan Field, and they introduced the 2010 and 2011 Wildcat squads. And I'm looking out there. I'm where's Dan Persa? He's got to be out there, but I couldn't find you on the field. I was on babysitting duty. You know, unfortunately, uh, with a little girl at home and the wife out of town, I, I couldn't make it. But obviously, I watched the game very intently and, and was bummed not to be there with my teammates. Yeah, see, I, I noticed there were a couple little kids out there, too, because you guys from those teams are all at that age now, right? We have you have little ones. So it's kind of fun exactly. to fun to watch, but uh, good game, good game for Northwestern against uh, a MAC team that that still hasn't won a game yet. I mean, we got to keep it in perspective. But after uh, the loss at Duke the week before, it was a very nice bounce back for them, especially considering that uh, they made a quarterback change and they really were able to run the ball pretty much at will against Ohio most of the game. Yeah, I agree. I think it was a good a good bounce back game. I think, you know, while if you look at the score, the game was probably a little bit closer, especially in, in the, the, the first couple of quarters. But I think, you know, the the Wildcats are just starting to get some stuff figured out, right? Hopefully Holinsky at quarterback is, is now solidified. It, it seems like Andrew Marty might have a, a more serious injury since he didn't play. Um but you know, I, I thought I thought Ryan looked looked pretty good. They didn't ask him to do a ton as as they typically don't. Um, in non-conference games, but I, I was impressed with you know his his arm strength and his his decision-making ability. There's obviously things to improve on, but I think you know he's he's a raw talent, and will be exciting to see progress over the year and over the coming years. And then on defense, I think it was it was good to see them make a couple changes, especially especially on the back end with AJ Hampton starting, um, as well as Coco Azima starting at safety. So I think you know like any other season, Coach Fitz, you know tries to get things, some things figured out early and then puts the right guys in there in, in the Big Ten season, and then we'll, we'll kind of continue to improve. And what's also nice, I think, defensively is to see them coming up with turnovers, and this was the second yeah. game in a row where they did it. I think they've got ten takeaways now through four games, but they had three on Saturday. A couple interceptions. Nice to see Brandon Joseph get his first on a tip pass. And here's a guy who had six interceptions last year. He was the Big Ten freshman of the year, led the nation in interceptions, and he would certainly hope he's he's come close, but uh, to finally get his hands on one, you would hope that maybe this will be the start of something because he had a couple of games last year where he had two picks in each one, and 
you know, this this team I, I think had some chances for more, right? They're getting hands on some balls where you know maybe they're gonna force some more turnovers. And that's been the personality of this defense under Mike Hankowitz. And now I'm sure I'm sure Jim O'Neill doesn't mind seeing that either. Absolutely. And I think it just like like we talked about, it takes a little bit of time with so many new faces across the defense. A lot of guys that have played, but not a not a lot of guys that have that have started um, especially on the front seven. And I think, to your point, Brandon Joseph, it's, it's always hard to follow up a season like that, especially from an interception standpoint, when he made a ton of great plays last year, but there was also times where you know he was right place, right time. Um, and now people are just more aware of him, and they're going to stay away from him. He's, he's kind of everywhere from a ball-hawking standpoint. Um, so, yeah, I agree. You know, The more the, the Cats can continue to come up with turnovers and, and frankly, take care of the ball on offense, they're going to be in every game, and 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 if we know one thing, it's that the Wildcats will be be close in the fourth quarter, and and they like close games. Uh, Ryan Helinski in his first start for Northwestern, numbers aren't the type that are going to blow you away, right? They only threw the ball twenty times, completed twelve for eighty-eight yards, but it seemed to me watching that he did a good job managing the game. Now, he did have one pass that uh, he was fortunate. Uh, they were back on their own goal line, and and uh, it went in and out of the arms of the defender who would have had a pick six there. But, I mean, you're going to make some mistakes over the course of a 60-minute game. But overall, your evaluation of how he played. I agree that he, he wasn't really asked to do a ton. And I guess it's, it's one of the things I frankly disagree with, with Coach Fitz and, and maybe their, their strategy, especially in these early games for, for inexperienced quarterbacks. I know they want to establish the run and, and, you know, dominate the line of scrimmage, but I would also use games like this, um, to get the receivers and quarterbacks a little bit more confident. But at the end of the day, I thought, I thought he made some really strong throws, some, you know, post throws that were impressive. And I think he was decisive and he was getting the ball out of his hands relatively quick. Like you said, there's things he can clean up, like some balls that he threw on the run that weren't, weren't great. But at the end of the day, I, I just, I like how Ryan's a competitor. He, he played in the SEC as a true freshman. He, seem, he seems relatively unflappable out there. And I think when we get into Big Ten play, he's going to elevate his play and continue to improve. He's still a really young quarterback. So, I was I'm cautiously optimistic about him um and really excited to see him get into Big 10 play. And you have to be excited about Evan Hull because it just seems like this guy has a knack for making big plays, long runs. Uh, from the very first game, we really got a good look at him against UMass in 2019 where he ran for 220 yards and four touchdowns. He ran for 216 on Saturday, a 90-yard touchdown run, the longest touchdown, the first 90-yard run for Northwestern since 1961 so i i mean he's also a guy who just seems like he runs with a little bit of anger dan he, he's tough to bring down and then you compliment him with the other two guys andrew claire and the freshman anthony tyus and they using him in the wildcat uh this running game really has some things going here which you worried about with the loss of cam porter Absolutely. And I think coming into the season, we all knew that the running back room would, would frankly be probably the strongest position group on the team, maybe save the defensive backs. Um, obviously, it was, it was sad to see Cam Porter go down, but I think the coaches were still very confident. And, and now we're seeing why with, with the stable of three running backs they have that, your point, frankly, um, complement each other really, really well. Um, so I love Evan Hole. I, I always you know, thought he was a hidden gem even last year but behind Cam. 
Um, but he's really taken this opportunity to shine. I think he'll continue to, to shoulder a lot of load as, as the Cats get into the Big Ten play. Yeah, we didn't even mention the the, the running backs in the fourth quarter. Uh, three or four other guys got a chance to carry the ball. One of them, Jake Arthur's, got a chance to score a touchdown. One of them, Connor Newhouse, had a real nice uh, 25-yard run. So always good to see those guys get a chance. We'll talk about this week's game in Nebraska. But first, let's take a look at the bigger picture through the first month of the college football season. Adam Rittenberg, senior writer covering college football for ESPN, kind enough to join us. Adam, you've had a chance to sample a lot of the college football we've seen through the first month of the season here. And I I guess, just for starters, seems like there are some surprise teams that are unbeaten here heading into the meat of conference play. Some teams have losses that don't normally have losses this time of year. What's your biggest takeaway through the first month or so? Well, David, it's really that. It's, 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 you look at the preseason top 25, and it's so different now, and maybe more so than it has ever been, or at least in recent memory. You know, Clemson was number three. They have two losses. Ohio State was number four. They have a loss and haven't looked very good. Iowa State, number seven. They have two losses. North Carolina, number 10. They have two losses. Wisconsin, number 12. They have two losses. Miami, number 14, two losses. USC's fired its coach. They have two losses. They were all in the top 15. Right. And it just shows that this was uh, has been a very surprising year and one that has a lot more drama, I think, than recent seasons, at least regarding the college football playoff, because we are going to have some variety, most likely. doesn't mean Alabama won't get there. They likely will. Georgia looks very, very strong, but it's been a few years since they've been in the playoff. And then after that, it's really anyone's guess. It could be Penn State and, or Iowa out of the Big Ten. Oregon uh, aiming for its first playoff appearance since the very first CFP back in 2014. Uh, you know, the Big 12 is wide open. Notre Dame isn't out of it. You know, Cincinnati plays Notre Dame this week, and, and they want to build their resume as a group of five contenders. So it's really a wide-open season, which is kind of refreshing, honestly, after what we've gotten the last you know, five, six, seven years. No doubt. Yeah, Adam, thanks again for joining us. Dan Purse here. Um, you you kind of just mentioned all the parity that we're seeing, and, and I, I don't know if this is a, a fair question, but do you think it's, it's good for, for college football in general and good for kind of the fandoms across the country? I'm not, you probably have the best pulse of anybody on, on where people are at mentally and, and you know, at the top of the pack. With this much parity, do you think it brings fans back in the game? What are some of the positives for college football? Yeah, absolutely, Dan. I think it brings in more regions of the country, more fan bases, and there's just a lot more drama when you know you, there, there's so many teams that maybe haven't been as involved or leagues that have been haven't been involved in the playoff conversation that are that are going to be. And you know, until we get an expanded playoff, we're, you know, we're stuck with four, and so it's very limiting. And you know, certainly the SEC has been very strong. Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma have all been very strong programs. And so you haven't had much variety. And so, you know, it's certainly not great if you're a Clemson fan or, uh, you know, if you're one of those other two lost teams that I mentioned. But it, it is great because uh, for, for other uh, teams and regions and leagues, because you're going to be discussed as long as your teams continue to win. And there's an element of drama. I mean, I remember back in the 2007 season, it was really the last, you know, truly like wild, wild season when, 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 when you had uh, every team had a loss or two and, and we didn't know who was going to get into the, the national championship game. And the Ohio State lost to Illinois and they still somehow made it to the national championship game. And then LSU won the whole 
thing, even though they were a flawed team. So I, th- I think it makes it more fun this way, but uh, certainly isn't a, as much fun if you're a Clemson fan. Yeah, it's true. Kind of dovetailing off the, the parody discussion, you know, we, this might be a better question for our friend Darren Ravel, but how do you, how do you feel like the NIL implications will, will move or flow towards, you know, more parody or, or frankly less parody for, for some of the big schools that you know, are, are typically in the hunt? Well, I, I think it. You know, I think a lot of coaches who think it'll it will just continue to funnel players to a certain number of programs. But I think it is an opportunity for for other programs that maybe haven't been um, in that top five or top ten to take advantage of, of their own environments and 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 and, and recruit to hey, come here and, and look at the NIL potential that you'll have as quarterback of our school or as a star defensive player of our school. You know, Oregon's taking advantage that right of, of that right now not surprisingly with their nike connection i think usc even though they're going through now another coaching change could be very proactive in terms of their location in los angeles and trying to sell that as part of nil but you know, alabama not surprisingly will, will have some benefit ohio state and some of those other programs I, I i'm just more curious dan whether the um money will continue to flow in at the high levels like it has for a number of these athletes or or if the business side of it will you know behave differently because as you guys know you know you don't make emotional decisions in business it ultimately has to bring in return and i just don't know yet it's still so soon whether th- these big dollar amounts that are being given out in these agreements are actually bringing in the return on the business side for them to then continue to doing that to, to continue to, to 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 do them you know adam that's a great point because i th- i think there's a certain novelty to it right now which may have sort of led to some of these deals that we heard in the early days of nil being handed out like the the guy in miami uh, giving every player on the team something to endorse a, his fitness centers or whatever it was and things like that but but eventually everybody's got budgets right and you just can't have this this enormous flow of money going to athletes to promote you on their social media without knowing whether you're getting any benefit from it yeah, yeah no, no doubt dave and i i was spoke, speaking with a pac-12 coach about it before the season uh because you know it, it's just so different in that league you have schools that are located in major cities you have oregon it's obviously affiliated very closely with you know the, the biggest athletic uh, apparel brand ever in Nike, uh, and so we, we were just talking about just very, that 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 point exactly. Like you know, will this just be a first year thing or a second year thing? And we all we all love the the story of the um, the, the BYU walk ons all right. getting their tuition paid for, but you know, is that company going to be in a position to do that year after year? It's obviously great publicity uh, for them, especially with so much attention on NIL. But as this becomes more just a part of the game, and again, I, I, I was never one of those people who felt like this was going to ruin college sports and, and it's going to change everything. There's a lot of doom and gloom out there. It's like everything. It's just it's something you have to change and adjust to, and eventually it's going to be more normalized. And when that happens, I, I don't know if these corporations and individual businesses are going to be as eager to do it. And the one thing that certainly works in, the play, in favor of the players is that there is an emotional connection for a lot of these companies, especially when they're local, you know, mm-hmm. to, to be supportive of, you know, local you, you know, 
you know, the, the state school or, or, or whatever school is in their area. I mean, that, that's something that will continue to be there. But I just don't know if the enthusiasm will remain where it is right now if the return doesn't show up. Now, maybe the return will, but we just don't know yet. Yeah, I think it's great we're having this conversation and that these players have the ability to do this. But I, I think it's just kind of the wild, wild west right now. Let's talk a little about the Big Ten. Uh, five teams in the conference have not lost a game. Uh, that's not all that unusual, I guess, at this point of the season, except for some of the schools that haven't lost yet. Uh, Michigan State, and we saw them opening night in Evanston against Northwestern. They looked really good. Uh, but in my mind, it's been more impressive to see what they've done since then. Their win at Miami, certainly a big one for them. And, and Maryland also being unbeaten now. I, I guess... The question, Adam, are are these programs legit right now in terms of being in that Big Ten East race as you look down the road? Well, I think that you know, what they've done, as you mentioned, Dave, you can't discount it. And I've just been so impressed in different ways with those two programs. Michigan State, uh, you know, talking about a, a modern approach to roster building, they, they essentially flipped their roster in, in an offseason. They, they went into the transfer portal. They added 20 players, including 15 transfers from FBS institutions. And I talked with their head coach, Mel Tucker, a few weeks ago, and he said, you know, we went to our existing players and basically said, we need to get better. We need to get better players. We're going to be bringing in a lot of players. Either you, you can stay here and, and, and compete and, and, and welcome them in, or, or you can leave. And, and it was a very black-and-white approach. And he said, by communicating that way directly and not trying to sugarcoat things, I, at least for, so far it's working. And the players they've brought in, and certainly Kenneth Walker, Walker Jr. from Wake Forest has gotten the most attention. Uh, Kenneth Walker the third, sorry, the running back who had the big game against Northwestern and mm-hmm. also against uh, Miami. Um, you know, he, he's gotten the most attention, but there's been guys on defense, and they've come, really come from all over the country. And just their ability to integrate so many new faces I mean, Dan knows it's hard to bring in new guys who who haven't been part of a program, and and sometimes it doesn't work in a locker room. So far, at least, it appears to be working at Michigan State. And then at Maryland, anyone who's followed Mike Locksley's career knew that he would recruit well, especially in that part uh, of the country. He's from Washington. He has a lot of relationships there. He recruited well uh, from that area when he was the offensive coordinator at Illinois. So there's a lot of uh, familiarity, and they have talent on that team, and they seem to have made some improvements improvement on defense which was not a good unit last year and they're also taking pretty good care of the football now we'll find out much more about maryland this week against iowa as they come into uh, college park on friday night but i think that's a team at least uh, you look at their talent at receiver at quarterback and then some improvement on defense you know they're they're, they're going to be a team to watch in the east division Adam, really interesting point on, on Michigan State. I guess for my own, my own education and, and, frankly, maybe some other listeners out there, how does, how does a coach or, or Mel Tucker really go about you know, turning over a whole roster? Is it you know, outreach from former programs? Is it different relationships? Is it like putting the word out to the waiver wires, using an NFL term on, on hey, we're open for business, come here? Like how, mechanically, how does that go down? Right. Well, you know, the staffs have increased significantly even since you played. And 
you have a lot more awareness of what is going on elsewhere. And, uh, you know, I, I think they, they had a number of players who, who left the team after last season, which didn't go well. And they obviously had a very late coaching change as Mel was only hired in February and didn't really have much opportunity to work with the team because of COVID, at least directly. And so it was a very odd season. So they had, they had open roster spots, but they also were very direct, as I mentioned, with the, with the existing players in saying, we need more good players here. And so I think it's, yeah, awareness. Uh, Mel's a guy who, who's had a really interesting career and in that he's worked in a lot of big-time programs and in the NFL. So he, he's somebody who, who's very well connected. He also has staff members who have worked in different parts of the country. Some of them were with him at Colorado, but a number of them also had worked uh, in, in, in the ACC or in the Southeast, in the SEC. So I think that, that also helped that they were pretty geographically diverse as a staff and also very geographically aware of, of who might be interested in making a move. I mean, you know, Wake Forest is 4-0 and right now without Kenneth Walker. Imagine <laughs> what, what, they, what, what they would be doing with him. And, and he's certainly... Uh, been a great addition, but there's been others on, on defense. You know, added a, a transfer from Alabama, transfer from Florida, who are both playing significant roles on defense, and and also they added five transfers from the FCS. So it's not just uh, an FBS to FBS hall, but as you guys know, there's so many players in the portal. It's just about finding who 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 are the best fits, who can help right away. And, and to Michigan State's credit, they seem to have done that. But the most impressive part to me, guys, is the locker room integration because you bring in that many players it has the potential to be a disaster in the locker room. And, you know, they're winning, which helps. But so far, that, 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 that has certainly held together nicely. Very impressive. Uh, we're talking with Adam Rittenberg from uh, ESPN. And, uh, Adam, before I let you go, I've got to ask you about the Big Ten West because the, uh, the feeling going in was that it was pretty wide open. Iowa certainly has come in and taken control early in terms of what they've done so far the impressive uh, victories they've had early on in the season and and now they've got this test coming up as you mentioned friday night in maryland but wisconsin uh with a couple of losses already and yeah i know the notre dame score was maybe a little more lopsided than the game actually was but to see them not in the top 25 is weird. Northwestern obviously has had their struggles through the first four games. They're the defending Big Ten West champs. Minnesota had a loss to a MAC team over the weekend. Nebraska's had two tough losses against good teams on the road. And so beyond Iowa, uh, how do you look at the Big Ten West right now? Yeah, it's going to be really interesting because even though you know, the Hawkeyes uh, you know, seemingly have the best team and the inside track to get back to the Big Ten championship game for the first time since uh, since 2015. You know, they are very aware of the fact that, that they're not going to walk onto the field and be you know, imminently more talented than, than, than you know, really any of those t- other teams that you mentioned. So uh, it's not going to be an easy road. Uh, Wisconsin's still very talented on defense, and that's not their problem. They have some major issues to work out on the offensive side. Minnesota, unfortunately, lost their best player, Mohamed Ibrahim, in the opener against Ohio State. Uh, They had a nice win against Colorado, but then took a major step back, at least offensively, in that loss to Bowling Green, as you just mentioned. And so I think that league or that division to me, and you, you both know it well, is so much about development and who develops the best over the course of the season and who makes the fewest mistakes. It's been absolutely the calling card of Northwestern that they've been a team that has gotten better 
typically over the course of a season, and they also haven't made as many mistakes as their opponents. And that you know has been an issue this year that they're making more mistakes. And so we'll see if they can evolve. Wisconsin, can they improve offensively to a point where, where, where they're 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 more uh, formidable, um, you know. Uh, I think I think you, you guys mentioned uh, 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 a Nebraska team that you know clearly has improved, but continues to find ways to lose and has been a mess on special teams. And can they clean up those areas to start winning games? So I still think there's drama in the West. But I, I also really like what Iowa is and what they have been. Honestly, they, they're a team that has been, I think, forty-one and nineteen. They were it, it, since they had uh, made the Big Ten championship game going into the season, and now I guess it's uh, forty-five and nineteen. So that would uh, indicate a team that's primed to get back to Indianapolis, and and they certainly have that opportunity this year. Well, I kind of look at Wisconsin's schedule end of next month and beginning of uh, November, and they get both uh, Iowa and Northwestern at Camp Randall sandwiched around a trip to Rutgers. So that could uh, that could have uh, a lot of say in who comes out of the West this year. I think that, that stretch of the season. But you never know. Uh, Wisconsin gets Michigan this week. That's, that's another big one. Adam, we could go on and on. I, I appreciate your time. I know you've got things to do. Thanks for jumping on with us. And again, follow Adam Rittenberg at ESPN Rittenberg on Twitter. And uh, let's check in later in the season, okay? Yeah, absolutely. Dave and Dan, you guys are the best. Thanks for having me on, and and let's do it again for sure. Sounds good. Thanks. All right, thanks to Adam for joining us. Some great points, Dan. Just just, There's so much still that can unfold this season in college football, but you have some of these traditional powers that have, if they haven't stubbed their toes completely, they just haven't looked like you normally expect them to play. I don't know what the reason is for that necessarily, but if it's parity, so be it. Because, look, parity's been pretty successful for the NFL for a long time. And seeing a little parity in college football, if you have more teams that are in the mix, that keeps the fans of those teams more engaged and it gets everybody more involved. Agreed. I think it's great for college football, like we talked about, just it, you know, involving different teams. And you're going to see this when you know top programs lose top players like Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence, and you kind of go down the list. But I think it's good for college football. It makes it fun. And, and to your point, um, the NFL's thrived off, off it for a very long time. So I'm sure college football taking a page at an NFL book is uh, is w- well worth it. Well, this is the first big weekend of Big Ten play, and. We've had games played already. In fact, Illinois, I think, has already played, what, three Big Ten games? And uh, they played Purdue last week. They're going out of conference this week. But then you got a bunch of conference games uh, with uh, Minnesota playing at Purdue, a Big Ten West matchup, Ohio State at Rutgers, and kind of an intriguing game there. Uh, the Friday night game with Iowa and Maryland, Indiana playing at Penn State. We all know what happened last year when they met in Bloomington. This time they meet in Happy Valley, and Penn State's up to number four in the polls. And in Lincoln, Nebraska, Saturday night, under the lights at Memorial Stadium, uh, the Wildcats and the Nebraska Cornhuskers, who've lost two tough road games, as we mentioned, at Oklahoma, and then overtime last week, a night game at Michigan State. Dan, you've played in Memorial Stadium, though you never played a night game there, but you know what it's like to play in front of that crowd, and this is going to be something that these guys haven't experienced in a couple of years, going on the road and playing in front of a crowd like this, and some of them have never experienced it. 
It's a great atmosphere, that's for sure. I think talk about you know a cathedral of college football, Memorial Stadium. To your point, I, n- I never played at night, um, but I'm sure it'll be rocking, rolling, and, and they'll have a sold-out crowd, um, even though Nebraska's been a little bit up and down. But, yeah, I think, look, as you rolled through the, the different schedule of games, it's really where we, we start to figure out who's who and who's a pretender and a contender, right, with, with the Big Ten schedule right. rolling around. I think we all have our favorites. Um, but this is when you finally start to, to tell. Um, and the weather's changing. It feels more like football season. Big Ten schedule kicks off. It's, it's an exciting time. Well, I think you know what, uh, when you talk about exciting times, it's time for Super Joe's prediction. Prediction to say or estimate a specified thing will happen in the future. Super Joe's predictions. What's up, fellas? Uh, <laughs> tough week last week as yeah. the Badgers got obliterated in the fourth quarter on the lakefront at Soldier Field against don't, Notre Dame. Don't you agree with me, though, that that game did not feel as lopsided? It wasn't. As, as it ended up because of those pick sixes late? Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they started to force it at the end of the game. Notre Dame knew what they were doing, got a couple of lucky pick. Well, I shouldn't say lucky, but they got a couple pick sixes to pour it on at the end. I don't think it was indicative, but Notre Dame was covering throughout. I mean, they were the better team even after the quarterback change. Um, so moving on to this week, obviously super excited for the Big Ten action to get rolling here. I am actually interested in Friday Night Lights. I like the Terps getting four. Uh, I'm willing to wait. I think that that number will go up a little bit closer to kickoff. I'd like to see it a, around six, six and a half. Um, as you know, Maryland has Tua Tagovailoa's younger brother. He leads the Big Ten in passing yards and passing touchdowns. I think he keeps them in a close game. I, I don't see, envision an upset, but anytime you're getting points at home under the lights, that's uh, that's worth looking at. And they're a good team. I mean, we saw it coming last year a little bit, and and uh, Tungavailoa played his first game for Maryland in Evanston in the opener last season, and uh, it was a, a pretty lopsided blowout affair. But you could see the talent that this guy has, and now everybody around the Big Ten starting to see it. Yeah, not to get too deep on uh, Maryland football here, but Loxley has seriously gotten into recruiting over there in the DMV area, which you're very familiar with, Dave. I think that, you know, that's an offense. This guy has, you know, roots in Alabama. He knows how to get things going. He's got, again, another tug of Iloa under his wing. Maryland can get exciting. They host Iowa this weekend. They got Penn State at home later in the season, and then the second-to-last game of the season, they got Michigan at home. So it's a good schedule for the Terps. I think this could be an, uh, an interesting game Friday night against the Hawkeyes. All right. Anything else catch your eye this week? Um, you know, that uh, Michigan-Wisconsin game is, I knew is it. interesting. Yep. Uh, the total is at just, I think I saw 42 points. So there's not going to be a lot of scoring. This is going to be one of those 1990s Big Ten games. Uh, it opened, I want to say, Michigan uh, laying a point in Madison, which is interesting because Harbaugh has not uh, coached well on the road, especially against uh, a good teams. So even though Wisconsin has two losses, that's a strong team in Madison. Yep. Um, I think the uh, the spread has switched over, and Wisconsin is laying points again. But um, I'm scared for my Wolverines going into Madison. That's going to be a tough one. That's a scary place to play. And Dan, I'll get back to what I said to Adam. I look at Wisconsin's schedule, and I've just felt this way all along. And knowing the way Iowa is playing now, the way Northwestern traditionally plays once they get into the Big Ten, even after uh, maybe not the start they wanted. 
that you look at November 13th at Camp Randall Stadium. That game's going to mean something. I, I'm not sure right now what exactly, but uh, you know that game's going to be meaningful, and, and it's uh, it's going to be a fun season. There's a lot of football still to come. Absolutely. It'll be, like you said, with Northwestern, Wisconsin, and Iowa, something always interesting happens at the end of the year, so it'll be fun to follow. Well, this game Saturday night's going to be a good one. Nebraska. Uh, it's a 6.30 kickoff in Lincoln. Of course, you can hear it on WGN Radio with our pregame starting at 6 o'clock. That's going to do it for this edition of Collegiately Speaking. Thanks to Adam Rittenberg for jumping on with us this week. Thanks to Super Joe Romano for Dan Persa, Dave Ennett. We'll talk to you again next week.